Hello and welcome to another episode of Locked on Spartans. It is Tuesday, January 15th, 2019. I am your host, Will Hunter, uh, back with you for another rousing edition of Locked on Spartans. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. Uh, reminding you, Locked on Spartans is available to you five days a week, 30-minute episodes every single day, covering the world of Spartan athletics, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, I want to real quick thank you all for uh, people who've picked up the show recently and been listening. Uh, we're growing, it seems like, every single day, which is really cool. Uh, trying to you know get this thing off the ground. It's been a, a cool three months or so uh, growing this thing, and I really appreciate all you guys uh, checking it out, staying put, and and giving it a, a listen every single day. It's uh, it's really appreciated, and I hope you uh, have I don't know learned something or enjoy the show or whatever. If you just play it and it's white noise that you fall asleep to, that's fine too. Uh, on today's show, I'm gonna call a change up here. I was gonna talk about some basketball things, but I think I'm gonna save it for tomorrow. Um, Tomorrow, I'm going to talk a few things I want to talk about with the basketball team, and then I do want to talk a little bit about Nebraska, uh, maybe one segment on Nebraska tomorrow, just to get like a first look, and then we'll do a full Nebraska preview on Thursday, because that's a, I think it's a little bit underrated right now, because we're not used to Nebraska being uh, very good, but it is a huge game, and I think Michigan State's about to enter the biggest stretch, uh, the toughest stretch of the Big Ten season right now, at least until the end of the season when you've got two games against Michigan in your last five. Uh, so definitely going to uh, spend a little bit more time on Nebraska than <laughs> than we spent on Penn State. We'll put it that way. Uh, so on today's show, uh, here's my plan right now. So I host another podcast with some friends. Uh, it's called The Three Gas Bags. It's terrible. You shouldn't listen to it. Uh, but on that show, uh, we do some mailbag things and stuff like that. And we, we did one yesterday, and we ended up getting just a crap ton of questions. Uh, and a lot of them actually came in as, uh, well, you wouldn't be surprised by this, but it's a Detroit spot, sports podcast, but we do a lot of Michigan and Michigan state stuff. So we ended up getting a lot of Michigan state questions. Uh, so I'm basically just going to recycle those and give more serious answers than I did on that show. Uh, that show we joke around a lot and screw around. So I got like eight questions here about Michigan state, uh, that I'm going to actually I try to offer some insight into and give a serious uh, opinion on so that's the plan for today's show a little bit a little mailbag show i did put out a request on twitter at will underscore underscore hunter one uh, l two underscores for mailbag questions uh, you can always send in uh, questions my way there do it uh, at on spartans on twitter as well you can send them at the facebook page you can email me locked on spartans at gmail.com or you can call in with a voicemail, 810-666-1031. Yeah, it's basically open game. Anytime you have a question or want to throw something out there, uh, there's a plenty of ways to do that. So for now, I'm going to use these questions that I've already got, uh, and I'll just go on collecting questions as we go. And once I get enough, uh, I'll do another mailbag. I always like doing these kinds of shows. So that's the plan today, three segments of mailbag-related stuff. Um Real quick, though, to start, I do want to, I was just doing a little bit of research, some independent research, because I was curious. I noticed something going through Michigan State's uh, uh, offensive efficiency numbers and their scores uh, compared to game pace. And if you haven't heard points per possession used before, 
Uh, it's basically, a, it's a it's a good measure to, it's exactly what it sounds like, points per possession. It's a good way to sort of normalize scores and put everyone on an even playing field. Like, hey, how good were you within the pace of the game? Because uh, when you play Wisconsin and you score 62 points, that might be just as good as playing uh, North Carolina and scoring 85 because the, the pace of those two ta- teams is so different. So it's a good way to just kind of measure pace independent. How well did you score the ball? And so far this season, Michigan State has not been, uh, I'll say it this way, Michigan State has been over one point possession, one point per possession every single game this year, uh, which is uh, a testament to how uh, consistent they've been on offense and how good they are at uh, a number of things. They're very multiple on offense, multifaceted offensive attack, uh, and even like the game against Florida, right? That was a slow 61 possession game and they scored 63 points. So even something where we feel like, man, that was a brutal offensive effort. They still have found a way every single game to score more than one point per possession. And I I did a quick thing. I was like, "Hmm, I wonder if anyone else in the country uh, has done that. I went through the top 22 teams uh, in Ken Palm's uh, adjusted offensive efficiency rating. So basically the top 22 offenses in college basketball and I stopped at 22 because I was getting to the point where no one was getting close anymore Uh, but there is no other team in college basketball to have done that so far this season Michigan State is the only team to score more than one point per possession every single game Uh, Gonzaga the number one offense in Ken Palm is right there but they uh, two games ago had a 67 possession game against Pacific where they scored exactly 67 points so Gonzaga has not been below one point per possession every single game this season, but they did not beat it in that one game, and Michigan State has been uh, at least a decimal point above one point per possession every single game this year. So I thought that was a cool little uh, stat, and it's uh, really just a ton of credit to uh, Izzo, the coaching staff. I've talked before how uh, they've opened up the offense a little bit this year. It's more free-flowing. Uh, closely resembles that 2015 team that was a lot of fun um, you know a lot of movement a ton of ball movement there's like Michigan State's assist rate is crazy so just and it's a testament to the players for executing it being unselfish uh, and being just really excellent basketball players who know their role and do it really really well it's really fun to watch them play right now uh, the defense has gotten a ton better, and we kind of expect that with an Izzo coach team, and they rebound, and they do all the, the stuff. They defend really hard. Uh, but when his teams are clicking offensively like this, uh, it can be really fun to watch. So uh, nice little stat there, or nice little whatever you want to call it, piece of trivia. Uh, good for Michigan State basketball. It's been really excellent so far. All right, let's get to some of these questions, and we're just going to rip through them. I'm going to do one here real quick. Maybe two, and then we'll go to a break, and we'll just get through them, and it should take about 20 or so minutes. Uh, first one is from Colin Dilworth on Twitter, at Colin underscore Dilworth. He has over under two and a half seed for Michigan State come Selection Sunday. Uh, this is one that we actually did answer seriously. Uh, I think two and a half is probably the right over under. Uh, if you want to be crazy, maybe drop it down to three and a half, but I don't see them losing enough games to drop down to the three line unless something happens, unless Cassius Winston misses extended time, unless Langford's injury lingers and another key player, you know, if Kyle Arns is going to be out for a month and they're missing those two guys for a month, I could see them slipping up a couple of times in conference play. Uh, but just given how strong the conference is, like they're on a, the one seed uh, right now for a lot of people, uh, either, you know, they're somewhere in the four, five, six range, kind of. 
in that area. So low one seed, high two seed. I think it's going to take a few losses, one of which is like, man, that's a bad loss to drop them down all the way down to the three line, given how tough the Big Ten is this year. Uh, And I just don't see that happening uh, at this point in time. They're just playing too well and they're too consistent. So uh, I have them on the one or two line, depending, you know, on how things shake out between like Duke, Virginia, if Gonzaga can get themselves back into that conversation and stay there uh, despite not playing in a strong conference. Uh, you know, those Michigan games are really going to determine a lot of things. So I would take, and <laughs> this is the other debate we got to do. I don't know if it's over or under a two and a half seed because technically it's under uh, one and two are both lower than two and a half, but these seeds are higher. You know, it's a seed thing. So I don't know, but I'm just going to say one or two seed for Michigan state comes selection Sunday. All right. Where are we at time wise? All right. Nine minutes. I can do one more. Uh, Bo Hayho asks, uh, what do you see being an immediate impact of the MSU coaching changes, if any, uh, i.e., can we still expect bubble screen or uh, can we still expect a bubble screen on our own goal line? I hope not. <laughs> um, although I, I think uh, you're going to still see some things that make you mad uh, with Brad Salem's offense. The big question is what sort of leash does he get? Uh, I've talked before how uh, in his previous stops, last time he was in control of an offense, uh, he ran uh, a more spread attack. Quarterback run was a big part of it. They ran zone read. Uh, They ran a similar offense to the offenses that tend to give Michigan State trouble, like the Utah State one. Uh, Quick passing game, getting guys into space, uh, running zone schemes, uh, using the quarterback a ton in, in the run game as well. Uh, so those are things that have given Michigan State trouble, and, and that's kind of what he ran. It was, uh, you know, like cutting-edge stuff uh, that Chip Kelly was doing, like that sort of thing. So he was part of that. Now I don't know how much he's changed in philosophy since then. It has been, oh gosh, eight years that he's been at Michigan State, and I don't know how much of that he wants to run still and how much of that D'Antonio is going to let him do. Uh, so I, I think the scheme will be some of that blended in with what Michigan State uh, has been under D'Antonio. I think you'll see uh, too many first down runs between the tackles, especially when uh, those plays aren't hitting at a success rate that is sustainable for long uh, drives. But I think there will be a little bit more explosive uh, plays. Uh, I think the the offense will be more explosive, have uh, a higher capability to you know hit 40-yard plays, 30-yard plays uh, more consistently than they have before. I still think deep down they're going to be a ball control team that wins with defense and uh, you know just consistent offense that's nothing flashy, but I think you will see more big plays. I think there will be more things mixed in uh, that you know we look at and we say, why can't Michigan State do that? Um, I think you'll see so, some more of that stuff, but it won't be, uh, <laughs> it won't be this free-flowing, beautiful thing that you uh, like those Bryles teams in Baylor would run where you're like, wow, they score 60 points every single game. Don't really see that, but uh, I think there will be some immediate changes, but maybe not as many uh, as we would like to see. All right, let's pause right there, take our first break. Uh, before we do that, I got to tell you guys about Roman. Yeah, you know, guys are terrible at taking care of their health, whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse. Guys are usually more comfortable just rubbing some dirt on it or 
distance, seeing a doctor. Well, the same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman has created an easy way to get checked out by a doctor and get treated for ED, and it's all online. It's a one-stop shop where licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose ED and ship medication right to your door, and they do it in discreet packaging as well. That's nice if uh, you're embarrassed of that kind of thing. They take care of it. Well, with Roman, there's no waiting rooms. There's no awkward face-to-face conversations or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. Everything is handled online. All you do is visit GetRoman.com locked. That's GetRoman.com locked. You fill out a quick medical onboarding chat with a doctor, and you get FDA-approved ED meds delivered to your door, right to your door in discreet, unmarked packagings. Guys, go online and get checked by the doctor for a free online visit, go to GetRoman.com locked. That's GetRoman.com locked for a free online visit. One more time, GetRoman.com locked. And if, hey, if you got a smart speaker at home, you can actually get this podcast played right on your smart speaker. You don't have to, like, download anything or, or do any uh, sort of stuff like that or sign up for anything. All you do is you call your smart speaker's name, whether it's Alexa or Bixby or uh, Siri, I don't even know. they got all these weird names. You just call their name and you say, hey, play podcast Locked on Spartans. That's play podcast Locked on Spartans and the podcast will play. So it's a great way to get the show. So give it a shot. Let me know if it works. I haven't done it yet. I don't have a smart speaker. I don't trust them uh, to be in my house. I don't want to be spied on. Uh, but if I had one, then I would uh, definitely tell it to play podcast Locked on Spartans. Okay, welcome back to segment two of today's episode of Locked on Spartans. Let's jump right back into the questions here. And I'm scrolling because I didn't do a good job prepping. Uh, (laughs) uh, So, oh, here we go. I finally have one uh, found. Okay, this is from Blockorama on Twitter at Watson Blocksma. That's an interesting name. Uh, He asks... How much is it appropriate to care about MSU football's national hashtag brand with relation to the recent coaching musical chairs? Should I stop being annoyed that we look like amateurs? Now, this is something I've talked about uh, sort of in, in previous shows uh, that uh, I was having a hard time really committing myself emotionally, like true fandom, diving all the way in and investing fully in Michigan State football because. Uh, so many moves out of their camp had shown me that they're just not interested in sort of taking that next step. Uh, and that's not to say that they don't want to win or don't want to be national championships or aren't trying to win a national championship or anything like that. But in college football, there are certain things you have to do to like legitimately be a team that can compete for a national championship, and even like if you're not going to get to Alabama, you're not going to get to Alabama's level or Clemson's level. Although Clemson's done a really good job capitalizing on some uh, good players, good fortune, uh, and have really used a huge investment with money and coaches and things like that to capitalize on it and just sort of build a machine there. Clemson it wasn't too long ago; they were a bit of a laughing stock. There was a thing called Clemsoning, if you remember, uh, where they would start off six and zero every year and then go on the road and lose to NC State. Uh, and totally embarrass themselves, tank the season, and go 8-3. and three. So that was a thing not too long ago. Um, but with Michigan State, uh, you have to just, uh, from an investment standpoint in money, like, right, you got to have the best facilities. You have to constantly be updating facilities, top of the line, everything. 
you have to be able to bring kids in there and absolutely blow them away uh, with what you have. Michigan State has really nice facilities. They did an update uh, a few years ago, and they're, they're really nice locker rooms, weight room. Everything's really great there, but it's just like, uh, I don't know. They don't have water slides <laughs> in there. South Carolina just opened up their new facility. They have a recording studio. Uh, it's, it's, it's gimmicky and things like that, but the, the, these are 17, 16, 17, 18 year old kids you're bringing in trying to get them to commit to your program. You need things like that. Things that, uh, get their imagination, get them hooked, get them thinking about your program, things that are different, uh, than other places in Michigan state. While they have put money in there, uh, to, to have nicer facilities, uh, they're just not on par with, you know, what the top programs have. And then coaches salary, they haven't, been willing to go out and spend big money on an assistant. Um, D'Antonio makes good money, but his staff is really low paid uh, compared to even the the other coaches in the Big Ten. I mean, Michigan's uh, coaching staff is making or made actually last year uh, almost twelve and a half million dollars uh, between Harbaugh's six and then his staff made six point four. Uh, Ohio State led the conference 13.5 for Urban Meyer and his assistants. Urban Meyer made 5.5. Ohio State paid their assistant coaches $8 million last year. Uh, third in the Big Ten is Iowa. Iowa paid their assistants 5.5 just last, just just short of 5.5 million. Minnesota's over 5. Nebraska's 4.5. Illinois is 4 million. Indiana's 4 million. And then there's Michigan State at 4.05 million. Number 8 in the conference. Yeah. Uh, well, D'Antonio makes 4.2, and that's uh, up there, I think, uh, like third in the conference, third or fourth, and we don't know about Penn State, but you can assume Penn State pays their assistance more, uh, probably right in line with like Michigan, maybe you know third in the conference. Uh, Michigan State pays their assistance at the eighth highest rate in the conference, probably ninth because Penn State, we just don't know about. That's not how... Uh, you have like long-term, uh, I don't know, not I guess not sustained success, but if you want to be a big program, you have to pay assistance big money. Uh, just like they've only had one super high-paid assistant, that was Pat Narduzzi, when he was considering taking a job, and they upped his pay to just short of a million dollars, and that was when he, I think, when he got that race, he was like third, uh, third in the country or fourth in the country in defensive coordinator salary. Now Brett Venables at Clemson makes like $2.5 million. There's multiple coordinators on both sides of the ball making uh, between one5 and $2.5 million. There's a ton of guys making more than a $1 million as assistants. Uh, and Michigan State's highest paid assistants are, uh, I believe, uh, like $600,000 or so. Uh, I remember uh, last year they had uh, all the co-coordinators were making uh, around like four and a half or 450,000, like a little bit less than that. So that's kind of, uh, where they all are. And then you just sort of notch it down there. Um, here, let me pull, yeah, I got this up real quick. Um, yeah, like the O-line coach Staten made 350,000 Salem's around there. Uh, Samuels was around there. Ron Burt, they're all kind of right around there between 300 and $450,000. So, uh, last year, those rankings were for 2017, uh, you know, the highest paid coordinators. Uh, Harlan Barnett was 138th among assistant coaches nationally. Uh, that is, that's too low. And that's something that's been a problem uh, at Michigan State for a long time because 
I don't know. It's part of it is D'Antonio doesn't want to bring in outside voices and hire people that uh, you know are coming off a head coaching job or uh, you know stealing a coordinator from uh, a school of similar stature. Make you have to give someone a big pay increase to make them uh, have a horizontal move. Like when Harlan Barnett was stolen by Florida State, he got a pay raise, um, or was stolen by Florida State from Michigan State, he got a pay raise, and Michigan State just doesn't do that, unfortunately. So that. Uh, I know it's part of D'Antonio's staff continuity theory uh, and how important that is to him, but they just don't pay their assistance at the level that uh, other programs do. So that all sort of, when you're talking about uh, Michigan State's national brand and, and how they are relevant to a national title scene, college football playoff scene, they're just playing behind the eight ball. Uh, they recruit differently than other schools. They don't pursue top guys as often as other schools do. And whether you want to believe that's because uh, they're not getting involved in the bag men uh, situation or paying players or what other sort of things. I mean, if you've seen uh, the Instagram pages of Alabama's football players, you understand that uh, they're getting some sort of benefits uh, beyond education when they're driving around $60,000 Camaros and things like that. Uh, Michigan. That's not to say Michigan State doesn't participate in that at all. At all that at all, because I think pretty much every major program uh, in the two uh, revenue sports that's worth anything does that to some extent. Uh, but maybe Michigan State and D'Antonio are just not willing to get in that game like other programs are. And that, unfortunately, when it comes to top recruits, uh, puts you behind the eight ball as well. So you got to rely on guys being from the state. Uh, and guys having a connection to the program. Uh, it's hard to go into Texas and pull a five-star kid who doesn't have a major connection with the program uh, when there are SEC teams and different things being bandied about uh, other benefits to other schools. So it makes recruiting harder, and Michigan State doesn't go out of its way to uh, do things to improve its stock in recruiting. They're very comfortable, and it's paid, uh, paid dividends. They've had a ton of success doing it. Uh, but they seem to be more comfortable getting lower-ranked guys. Some definitely, they recruit some good players, and they get some good players, but they do a great job with player development, and that's how they win. But that uh, doesn't work every single year. Sometimes classes just don't pan out, and you just if you don't have as much raw talent, you don't recruit as much raw talent, you don't have higher-paid coaches, um, better coaches, top-notch coaches that are paid at the top of their field. Um, they're going to be blips, and you're going to have a couple years where you're maybe not as good. Uh, where you're missing uh, key players at key positions, like, uh, I don't know, like the step down between a Connor Cook and a Brian Lewerke at quarterback, even though Lewerke was higher uh, recruited and things like that, Connor Cook ended up being uh, a great college player who could make up for other deficiencies, whereas that hasn't been the case so far with Lewerke's career. So that's the sort of thing you leave yourself susceptible to uh, when you don't recruit at such a high level like other schools do. It just you have higher variance, you know, you have uh, a lower floor uh, than a team that recruits consistently top 10, top 15 classes. And until Michigan State does that, they won't be a consistent national brand. They might have runs like we've seen under D'Antonio, but just as quickly as that all came together, it's kind of fallen apart a little bit. And that's uh, for a number of reasons uh, that I just sort of I feel like I I laid out there, but, you know, recruiting, uh, money, investment in facilities, things like that. Uh, When you lack in those areas, it's hard to have sustained success, uh, as we've seen play out over the last six or seven years with the the peaks and valleys of the D'Antonio era since uh, 2010. Okay, well, that question took up the whole segment, (laughs) Uh, but I, I, I wanted to 
read that one because I had to do it quickly on the other show and I wanted to give a, a more thorough answer. So we'll finish off the podcast with more questions after the break. Uh, but first, if your company is looking for a new way to reach customers, you could be mentioned right now. Podcast listeners are 60% more likely to interact with sponsors they hear on their favorite shows, and our demographic is more educated and earns more money than traditional media audiences. Have your company sponsor this podcast. Email me at LockdownSpartans at gmail.com. Okay, third and final segment of today's show. Let's finish it out with a few more uh, questions. Uh, this one is from Jake Richards. He asked, with Ward leaving and Stewart most likely going elsewhere, will Bingham be ready for big minutes next year? Uh, first thing, I, I'm i sort of, I don't know. I, with Ward, I'm torn because the conversations I've had with people, uh, there seems to be an agreement that while Ward is a tremendous player and a really great college player, uh, the NBA is certainly kind of morphing away from his type of basketball so I don't know like if he tests the waters again like he did this year if he's he might get the same sort of response um that's not to say he can never play in the NBA but he's gonna have to uh, do some things physically change physically even lose even more weight uh become stronger and a better athlete over the next year and a half to really give himself a shot he can do a lot of things uh he's gonna have to shoot more threes and, and, and extend his range for sure uh, so I'm not dead set that Ward's leaving. I think there's a chance he goes, and even if he's an undrafted guy and is in summer league and things like that, he could sign a contract and play in Europe and, and do very well for himself. So there is that chance that he could turn pro next year. While it might not be in the NBA, maybe he's the G League stint or something like that, uh, he could definitely do it. Isaiah Stewart is the Stewart he's referring to there. It's not looking great in his uh, his recruitment Um Although Michigan State is still one of the favorites to land him, or one of the finalists to land him, uh, the the tea leaf reading is not going well. On twenty four seven, or Washington's crystal ball number has jumped way up. Uh, Michigan State was first not too long ago in that process, and now uh, it's a tie between Duke and Washington and his crystal ball. So uh, it's not looking great for Michigan State there. Um, so he is a guy who would slot in as the starting center next year. Um, that's not looking so likely anymore. So will Bingham be ready for big minutes next year? I think he will be. I think Bingham could play more now if he was just a little bigger. I think they're really concerned about that. Um, but if, I don't know, say Nick Ward goes down and misses a few weeks, Bingham's going to have to play minutes because it's Goins. Or it's, yeah, it's Goins, it's Tillman up front, and then after them it's Bingham. So he's going to have to play some minutes. I don't see someone like Gabe Brown sliding down to the four a ton. There are going to be minutes available for, for Bingham. Uh, and he's going to have to play some stuff. There, there's a, a definite skill set there. And I think, uh, you know, you'll see him play some stretch for next year. You've got to remember, Goins is going to be gone next year. So uh, I think Bingham and Tillman, will, are, as of right now, are probably your starting bing, bigs uh, when they play big. Who knows next year? Maybe at 6-7, Gabe Brown can play some power forward next year with Tillman and Bingham, Bingham playing center. And we still don't know how the, the recruiting class is going to shake out, but I think uh, Bingham will be ready for minutes next year. I think he's going to be, like, I'm very high on him. I think with his ability to shoot, his ability to handle, uh, he's super raw. He was kind of a little bit of a late developing kind of guy. Like, if he, I don't know, in a different world, could have another year of high school, I think he'd be someone who would, like, jump way up the recruiting rankings because uh, he's just someone who's kind of, 
He's really big and long, and he's adding these skills. Uh, he looks natural shooting the ball. Uh, I think uh, defensively he's going to be an absolute force uh, blocking shots. We'll see how positioning and weak side defense and help defense and all that stuff, defending screens and things, you know, the nuances of the college game that are just different from high school that he's going to have to learn. We'll see how far that development comes along, and he's obviously got to add muscle to his frame. But I... Uh, just seeing like I don't know how Tillman has improved, and even Nick Ward how he's improved. Uh, Adrian Payne's another guy you can look to who is raw, big, athletic, and really developed into a good player. Um, Michigan State has a pretty good track record of turning guys who are somewhat of projects or uh, you know decent players, have skill sets, not ready yet, not complete players. Um, not the one and done types, and and really developing them into into really good players. So I have confidence in the staff, and I think he's got a really unique skill set for a guy his size. So I, I'm really interested. I'm really excited for Bingham to play more minutes, uh, and I'm not worried about him not being ready uh, to play next year. Okay, I'm just looking at my time. I was going to do one more question. Actually, I'll do it really quickly. I don't have time, but Joshua Krupp asks, "Can Izzo coach five star talent?" Yes, uh, he can. <laughs> Uh, all of Michigan, all of Tom Izzo's five stars, uh, going back to Delvon Rowe, uh, have been drafted, and most have been drafted pretty darn high. So I think he's like nine for nine. Uh, the only one who hasn't yet is Josh Langford, and he's obviously still in school. Who knows if he'll get drafted? I, I guess I don't really see it. Um, you know, he could have a great senior season and, and end up getting picked in the second round somewhere, but uh, he's got a skill set, so. We'll see on that, but uh, yeah, Izzo's got a great track record with with five star guys. Whether they stayed a year or um, two years or whatever, uh, Adrian Payne stayed four years. He was a five star guy. Uh, yeah, Tom Izzo's got a really good track record with them. Uh, the only issue is sometimes he doesn't know when to play them, especially against Syracuse in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> uh, I gotta stop bringing that up. It just it's painful for me and it's painful for you guys. It's just a terrible thing to do. Anyway, that's going to end our show today. Thank you so much for listening. Submit questions uh, like that. Do more mailbag things. I'll try to get quicker with my answers. Uh, But I like doing that sort of stuff. So anytime you want to submit a question, go ahead and do it at uh, on Spartans on Twitter at will underscore underscore hunter one L two underscores locked on Spartans at gmail.com or our voicemail line 810-666-1031. Those are excuse me, those are all great ways to submit questions to the show. Thank you so much for listening. Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, all that good stuff. Really appreciate it. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Locked on Spartans. Going to talk uh, about this team, some things that I think they do really well, why I think they're poised for uh, a deep run into the NCAA tournament and could be a potential uh, championship threat. Uh, And then we'll give a first look at Nebraska as well in one segment tomorrow. So all that tomorrow on Locked on Spartans. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, go green.